Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, Mission Impossible actor Simon Pegg tells us why he would never on earth try to do some of the stunts that Tom Cruise can pull off. I don't know if I've got the time. You know, I feel like I, I also need to go play Minecraft with my daughter and, you know, uh, watch TV, eat things. But first, let's kick back and unwind from the week that was with two excellent humans. With us this week, we have the Director of Audio Journalism at Northwestern University's Medill School, Ariane Nettles. Ariane, hello. Hi, Greta. Also here is the Bureau Chief for Chalkbeat Chicago, Becky Vivi. Becky, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled. Yay. Okay, so next Friday, two huge summer movies come out. They are both directed by critically acclaimed directors. They both have huge marketing budgets. One is the Barbie movie and one is Oppenheimer, which is about the atom bomb. I think it is fascinating that these two are both coming out on the same day. It's kind of causing like chatter about, you know, are you an Oppenheimer person or a Barbie person? So, Ariane, (laughs) which one are you going to go see next week? So, okay, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, Even though I'm chronically online, I still have no idea what Oppenheimer is about. About. Like until you just said like the atom bomb, like I was like, oh, that's what it's about. Like I, I didn't know. Um, I am, however, I'm a Barbie. Okay, I yeah. am a Barbie yeah. girl in a Barbie world. I was born <laughs> this way. Um, I've been this way my whole life. Actually, you know when Aqua came out with "I'm a Barbie Girl," that yeah. that was my jam. Like that was a song I had on repeat. It was one of the first CDs I ever bought. Like. That is how much of a Barbie girl I am. I got my little, like, reporter Barbie ready. I have my Madam C.J. Walker Barbie, my Ida B. Wells Barbie, and my my nieces have told me that we have a dress code, of course, when we go, even though I really think this is is a grown-up movie, but I'm going to let them come with me. (laughs) You know, I was really hoping to avoid hearing that, come on, Barbie, let's go party, but here we are. I guess it has to happen. Well, it's a a good re... But they're also on the um, soundtrack, there's a remix to that song... With like Nicki Minaj and stuff. And I'm bad like the Barbie. I'm a doll, but I still wanna party. Pink felt like I'm ready to bend. I'm a ten, so I pull in a can. Like Jazzy, Stacy, Nikki. All of the Barbies is pretty. All of the Barbies is bad. It girls. I'm a Barbie girl. It's it's jamming down, okay? It is a it is it's oh a, it's God. a real bop and I just want you to know that I think that if you haven't embraced it I think it's time for you to embrace the Barbie aesthetic okay lean into okay. the pink lean into the high hair lean in to the heels okay I want you to embrace it okay turn into a doll Greta okay It's funny because I don't think I would have cared about a Barbie movie at all except the fact that Greta Gerwig was directing it really did make me second it's like oh this might actually be legit good and now i am 
Like, I think I am. I can't remember the last time I saw a movie opening weekend, but I think I'm going to do it. Becky, what about you? I will say the Barbie movie, the trailers, all of the all of the um, press they're doing. Right. I, it comes up on my Instagram feed all the time. Mm-hmm. And I have to say... Ariane, Barbie Girl, that song. Yay! I remember when I was younger, when that came out, that was like the bop Yay! at the roller mm-hmm. rink when everybody would like <gasps> scream and run out onto the onto the floor. And um, yeah, I, I feel like I really I really want to see this one. Yay! Plus the cast. The yes, cast is incredible. hell of a cast. Yeah, it's crazy. So does either of you, are you like remotely interested in the Oppenheimer movie at all? It sounds like kind of zero. Oh, absolutely not. I'm not going to see that. No. I'm never, I'm never going to see it. I'm not even going to see it when it's free and it's on TV. I'm not going to see it. It's okay. Like, I, I know it's for people. It's for some people, but it's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's Christopher Nolan. It will be a well done movie for what it's Absolutely. worth. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. And I'm sure the people who <laughs> like that type of stuff, that they are going to love it to death. But I'm not I'm not going to watch that ever. <laughs> I saw there was like there's somebody's coining this term Barbenheimer where you could do a <laughs> oh. double feature and go to it. Oh. And I was just like, that is insane. Yeah. I feel like you should do Op and Barbie, though, because I would want to end with Barbie. I don't I think I would want to end with Barbie, too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Also this week, Emmy nominations were announced. It is a very weird time in Hollywood. The Screen Actors Guild has joined the Writers Guild on strike. This is the first time in 60 years that both unions have been on strike together. As for the nominations, HBO Max cleaned up, which isn't super surprising given the succession and Last of Us and White Lotus of it all. Ted Lasso did really well, too. What did y'all think? Like, is there anything that should have gotten nominated that wasn't or maybe just that you think is super overrated? Well, I have to say um, 10 out of 10, no notes on Succession. I (laughs) thought that that was like a perfect ending to a perfect series. And I'm actually really happy that a lot of the actors in that cast got um, nods, including um, Jerry, the actress who plays Jerry. So I am very happy to see all of them nominated. I love tv and i think that i also might have a very particular idea of what i like like for example i know that objectively i think succession has to be good because all y'all liked it but i could not get into it you know what i'm saying so like it would be unfair for me to be like succession should get no not you know like clearly it should get Mm -hmm. i don't i'm sure that no tv show should get as many as it got like because it just kind of like you know there was just no variety in some in some things like i'm not saying diversity of people i mean diversity of shows like it was white lotus and succession White Lotus and Succession. So when I mean diversity, I mean diversity of the types of shows that should get recognition. Uh, And because so many people like different things, like I think that awards shows are better when they are a mix of what everybody can show. Um, But I feel like this is my opportunity to pressure you both into watching something that is now my goal in life is to get everybody to watch Yellow Jackets because it's got a lot of really good nominations this year, which made me really happy. Y'all both know me really well. And I'm not even really into like murdery dramatic stuff. But Yellow Jackets, is it a little cannibalistic? I mean, you know, it's a... (laughs) 
A little bit. Okay. I feel like it's really about like high school girl dynamics. What was high school like for you, right? Then maybe you just put them in the oh wilderness. But it's the same. It just so happens to be in the wilderness. And that just means that some people are going to have to get eaten, which there's a lot of people I went to high school with that I would eat in a heartbeat <laughs> if we were stuck in the wilderness. So I get it. Then the oh other gosh. show that I think y'all really need to watch is also murdery. And again, I'm not even a murdery person. However, I think you both need to watch Swarm because Dominique Fishback, who I am just crazy about, um, she got a really good nomination too um, for Best Lead Actress in a limited series. And so... So this is the one that is about like stand culture, right? It's she yes. plays someone who is obsessed with this um, singer called named Nija. She is like this Beyonce right. type figure, but like mm. yeah, like a serial killer who kills oh if you say a bad thing. Like I mean, I don't know. Like maybe I wouldn't kill you if you said something bad about Beyonce, but I would definitely have words for you. So I feel like it's similar. <laughs> oh my gosh, Ari, those are both really dark pics knowing you it's i know kind of but funny. they're funny they're funny with the darkness yeah it's a, that lot helps. Of, it's a little that comedy helps. up in there yeah okay so the other story i wanted to ask y'all about this week was from the new york times and it talks about the phrase girl dinner which has blown up on tiktok the times describes girl dinner as an aesthetically pleasing lunchable an artfully arranged pile of snacks that, when consumed in high enough volume, constitutes a meal. I thought this was such a funny article for a number of reasons, mostly because I think this just might be dinner. Yes, <laughs> I was just going to say the same thing, Greta. Like, this is what I ate through most yes, of my 20s. Exactly. So, like, this is just dinner. And frankly, when I'm alone, this is what I eat. Like, yes. what? <laughs> Yeah. And I'm not sure. I mean, it also talks about, you know, it goes into like the gender roles of it all and how like girl, another quote from the article is girl dinner represents a conscious choice to opt out of the tyranny of cooking and doing the dishes. And like, I get what they're getting at, but I don't like, I don't think that's necessarily what it is. Mm -mm. I think it's just that like people are lazy and it's nice to just like put some cheese and crackers on a plate and call it a day now and then. It's convenient. Like I'm going to eat whatever's convenient at the end of a long day. God bless the New York Times, first of all, because I feel like they do this. <laughs> know, They've been right? doing this. I feel like they're like trolling yes. all millennials, too. It's yes. just like, yeah. okay, this was exactly like what I ate again 10 years ago in my 20s all the time. I still eat it. So my sister, when we were in high school growing up, she used to have choir practice at night sometimes. Mm -hmm. And she would take, I'm not kidding you, she would take a block of cheese from the drawer in our refrigerator yeah. and one of those little cutting boards where they have like the wire attached. Oh, yeah. You know, the cheese board yes. with the wire. She would take that and a sleeve of crackers to the, ah. to the high school, to the choir practice. Well, it reminds me of, I think it was a couple summers ago now, we interviewed Tejal Rao from the New York Times, and she had this recommendation of eating, it was like um, smoked mussels on Ritz crackers with sriracha. And it's oh, fucking delicious. And it's, it's awesome. like, yeah, it's a lovely, it's protein packed. It's a great meal. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It does remind me, like, is the New York Times, sometimes it feels like they're just a lot of aliens 
yeah. reporting on humans. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. and it's like it, there's so many things to report on, especially in like food culture, right? Like there's so there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of real good things to report on, and so it's kind of like what can I make be a cultural phenomenon? <laughs> right. It's honestly just dinner. Let's call um, it what it is. Let's yeah. just call it what it is. And I I will say it's funny to me that they talk about girl dinner and like label it as girl dinner because it's silly uh my husband had a very short-lived instagram account uh where he posted bachelor meals for one <laughs> and it was essentially like uh the male version of this so one of my favorites is a picture of two hot dog buns smeared with peanut butter and the caption let me find it really quickly the caption is Repurposed sausage envelopes served open faced with creamy legume spread. Oh hashtag God. dining, hashtag plating art, Amazing. hashtag food is life. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, it's so amazing. I love it so much. I mean, I I do feel like I should point out that one of the last lines of the article is does say perhaps the most important thing about girl dinner is that you don't have to be a girl to enjoy it. Okay, so before I let y'all go, I'm going to put you on the spot with this one. The US Postal Service just increased the price of stamps. Does either of you have any idea how much they cost now? Just like a stamp you'd put on a letter. Uh, can I guess? Yeah, I, I guess. Like- 62 cents Ooh, that's a good guess what about you ari well the last time i bought stamps i thought they were like 40 cents so i know right that would have been in like 1997 or something no it was like i bought stamps i thought because i buy stamps to um mail out christmas cards and things Okay, so I don't know. They are sixty six cents a pop. Sixty six. Becky, you did oh my it. God. Slow your roll, post office. I know it's pretty wild, but there is something miraculous that, like, you can send something thousands of miles for sixty six cents. Yeah, yeah, that's still cool. Well, Ari, Becky, thank you both so much for coming on. This was very, very fun. Thank you, Greta. Thanks for having us. After the break, the Simon Pegg talks about acting in the latest Mission Impossible movie. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Our next guest is the Simon Pegg. He's an actor and writer who wrote Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, and The World's End. He also has been in Star Wars, Star Trek, and Doctor Who, and his latest film is Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1, the seventh in the series where he plays Benji, part of Tom Cruise's Nerd Squad. Simon, welcome to Nerdette. Good to be here. Thank you. So I feel like all these roles, like you just get to play a nerd's nerd all the time. I know. It's ridiculous, isn't it? In Star Wars, as Ankar Plutt, this this sort of junk dealer guy, I did actually own the Millennium Falcon for a short period of time. 
and uh, <laughs> and also um, being the chief energy engineer on the Starship Enterprise. That's two of the most famous spaceships I've been able to get access to. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> So it was really funny preparing for this interview and seeing Mission Impossible because I don't think I have to be honest. I don't think I've seen any of those movies since like the mid 90s, probably like the first couple I saw. And then I definitely have not since then. So it was like literally a wild ride to watch that film. Yeah. You joined the franchise almost 20 years ago now with the third movie. I did. What keeps you interested in them? Like as an actor? Oh, it's it's a real privilege as an actor to get to evolve a character and and play mm-hmm. him over 17 years and through different experiences and and every time I come to do a new movie I get to build on whatever happened before you know so mm-hmm. it's it's a quite a rare thing to be able to um go back to a character over such a long period of time in in sort of you know um rather than like a say a serialized piece of television where you're playing that character every week or whatever, I get to play him every sort of three or so years. It has to be a hell of an operation. I mean, I just think about all those stunts and the whole thing. I mean, it's just got to be massive to be a part of that whole huge thing. It's huge. It is huge. And the, the thing is, is uh, the, the secret to it, I think, is that while everyone's talking about the stunts and the stunts are obviously uh, a big part of the draw for it, McHugh and uh, Chris McQuarrie, our director, and Tom are always quietly in mm. the corner, really drilling down on on character and, and, and sort of motivation and all the stuff that actually makes the stunts work better. Because, you know, if you don't care about the characters involved in the stunts, mm. then it's just fireworks, you know. So true, their, true. Their, their primary objective is to create characters that you can invest in and and care about. I love that. So yeah, when it comes to Benji, your character, I was really curious to know, like how much of the tech stuff that he is doing, do you Simon Pegg actually understand? (laughs) None of it. Um, (laughs) You know, often we're just, you know, we're, we're working on like blank screens. The, uh, all the all the graphics, oh, wow. all the all the digital stuff comes later because it's all very precise and has to look really cool. Sure. So we tend to just sort of imagine what we're looking at on the screen. And often what we do on the day, you know, all the sort of like swiping and pressing, the, the people that do the graphics had to kind of match that. So it makes us look really good. Meanwhile, <laughs> I, I, I can barely open my phone. So um, <laughs> it, it's uh, it's movie magic at its best. <laughs> That's so funny. So you really do just to get just to sort of you just like poke at the screen and they make it happen. Yeah. Like all the time when I'm in the car and I'm kind of like trying to find the alternative route for Ethan to to, to, to get yeah. to the train. You know, that's just a blank computer, and I was just swiping away and, and pretending to yeah, do, do my pippity boop acting. <laughs> that's so amazing. So, is there ever a stunt that you see Tom do and you're like, I would love to figure out how to do that? Or are you more like, mm, I'm happy here on the ground? I think B. I think I'm happy on the ground. Yeah. The reason is, it's not because um, I'm frightened, but the amount of preparation. Yeah. It takes, you know, like Tom to do that stunt in in the uh, in the film of the mountain. He trained for months to become a first of all a, a great motocross rider, and then right. he had to train base jumping. You know, and he puts the hours in. He's not reckless in that he just doesn't think, oh, I'll just go ride no. a bike off a cliff that day. Right. He prepares and he he dedicates his life to it. You know, and I. I don't know if I've got the time, you know, I feel like I, I also need to go play Minecraft with my daughter and, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. watch TV, eat things. Um, but Thomas, <laughs> Thomas is a, is a, is a machine when it comes to that, you know, he's, it's inspiring how dedicated he is to his audience. 
So yeah, you've talked about this before, but how crazy is it to watch Tom like jump out of a plane? It's scary. I think I've been there for a lot of the big stunts. You know, I was there at the Burj Khalifa and I was there when he was hanging onto the side of the A400 and I was there the day he jumped off the cliff. And and you feel as, as confident as you can because you know that he hasn't approached this lightly in any way. But there are always variables. There's There are crosswinds and there are, are bits of, you know, particular on the runway or the ramp that could come up and hit him in the face or the chute couldn't open. And, and all those things, you know, feed into a, a sense of anxiety on the day. Mm. There's a reason we shoot it first, you know. It's like it's pointless to shoot half the movie and then the stunt go wrong. You know, we get it out of the way. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That makes sense, though. Yeah, and I think also for Tom's mental health, just... You know, having these... To be done with it. Yeah. It, it's a stress to, to know that, you know, tomorrow I'm, I'll be jumping off a cliff on a motorbike. It's funny because it sounds like such a high-pressure environment where you are filming also a high-pressure environment, you know? Yeah. It kind of... There's always a lot... There was always, there's always a Mission Impossible running right. alongside <laughs> Mission Impossible. No more so with this one because we shot it at a time when, you know, um, everybody was shutting down. During and, COVID. And it looked like... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. God, it's incredible. So there's a point in the movie where your character, Benji, says something about how friends are the most important part of his life. Yeah. And it seems like all like you actors in these movies are our friends in real life, too. Right. Yeah. I mean, we always have been. And um, with this one, because we started in September 2020 and we had to exist in sort of bubbles. So there were crew bubbles and cast God, bubbles. That was before the vaccine. I mean, that's a really intense yeah, time. Yeah. So we were all, all the all the new people that came in, Haley and Palm and Shay, mm-hmm. Tarzan, Isai, uh, and Henry as well, who, who came, Henry Cerny, who came back for number one. We were all sort of like holed up together in these hotels in Norway and Italy. And we just bonded really quickly because we, we just had to be together the whole time. Mm-hmm. So we played board games and Haley is a uh, an absolute organizer of fun. She will... <laughs> bring out all the different games and we were playing like running charades and banana grams and all these things. So we ended up sort of really, really uh, bonding quickly. We were all the way from home and that carried on throughout the whole shoot, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of affection that we established early on. That's sweet. Was there any game that you really just like cleaned up at? I think I was really good at running charades. What is that? You play, it's basically charades, but you have to you get the you get the film or whatever you've got to um, you've got to mime and then you run like <laughs> across the room to your team and you have to mime and I, I remember this one amazing moment when Shea Wiggum uh, he he got his he got his uh, title and he ran up and he came up to me and he counted out on his fingers and I heard him go the hunt for red October and then he started to mime and I went the hunt for red October and he was like what man how did you do that so it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Oh my gosh, that's delightful. So do you ever watch these movies yourself, like at home with your daughter or anything? Yeah, I mean, I've watched this one more. I mean, you know, we're on the press tour at the moment. Mm -hmm. I've seen this film five times now. (laughs) That's a lot of hours. Yeah, usually you kind of, even if you love the movie on a press tour, you'll sit it out, you know, you, you go for dinner when the film's on. Sure. But there's something about this one. It's it's so entertaining and so fun to watch with an audience that um, I've just sat in on five, you know, separate screenings and 
And I'm still loving it. I still find new things. And I think anyway, the first <laughs> the first time you watch it is your kind of hair gets blown back a bit. Mm, yeah. And you don't really get time to, you know, to really notice everything because you're just kind of like clinging to the edge of your seat. <laughs> so I saw this in 4DX, which do you do you know what I didn't even know what that was before I ended up. Is that when they like squirt water in yeah, your face? Yeah, man. <laughs> so when you say your hair is blown back, but like I wished I had brought a hair tie because I was it like especially the scenes like on top of the train, they were like aggressively yeah, yeah. blowing air at us. It was such a crazy experience. <laughs> that's so weird. I, I, I don't know how I feel about that stuff. I feel that that's kind of like um you know, I, I don't know how much the filmmakers uh, <laughs> appreciate them, the film being turned into like a ride. But I guess for some people, it's like it's a hoot, you know, so um, it did kind of I feel mean, like. How a ride. It? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was a crazy. And it's like, you know, especially as someone who interviews people, it's like, OK, now I need to talk to the like 4DX designer for like, when did you decide to lurch the chair in this specific way at this specific, yeah. t- you know, it's just like I have so many questions about this entire process. Yeah, they must sit through it and kind of think, okay, we'll, we'll have a bit of wind there. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll you know, leak the smell of a diesel engine <laughs> into the room there. And <laughs> I think I've seen three films in the movie theater now since like March of 2020. And that was, yeah. you know, it's like, but this is one that you really would want to see in the theater because it's, it is such an experience. Absolutely. It's a really, it's a really difficult time, uh, or, or, or an interesting time for sort of theatrical presentation just because of how we consume entertainment now all the different options that are available to us. Mm-hmm. And I think what people kind of forget about is how um, life-affirming, how important it is mm. to share the experience with a whole bunch of strangers. You know, it's like, it's a wonderful thing to be in a room full of a load of people you don't know and go through this catharsis together. It's kind of, yeah. it's like social glue, you know, and it's, it it's something I think we need, you know? Yeah. Are there any movies that you've seen in the theater lately that you'd recommend? I'm definitely going to see, um, uh, all the big films this summer, obviously Barbie and Oppenheimer. Uh-huh. Everyone's talking about that, yep. that double opening. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which one are you going to see first? I don't know, man. I wish they'd. <laughs> I, I wish they'd kind of like spread it out a bit, just because it, it, it it's good for everybody if we're all spread out. It's it's almost it not. It does seem like a glut to put them both on the same day. Like yeah, that. I I think it's a little counterintuitive, really, to set up films in competition with each other, just because mm-hmm. it, it it serves us if everybody does as best they possibly can. True. I want to see both those films pull in the maximum amount of of audience that they possibly can, and and. You know, I worry a little bit that that audience will be split. It's expensive going to the cinema these days and, and not everyone can go to see two films in one day or even in one week. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I would perhaps as a, as an objective onlooker question the wisdom of that double release. But, you know, it, 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 it's, it's up to the people that create the movies, I guess. So um, we asked our Nerd Out listeners if they had any questions for you. And our listener, Jamie, wanted to know who your favorite character is that you've played. That's a good question. It's hard. It's like having to choose your favorite child. Yeah. Um, Although I do obviously prefer some children to others. (laughs) Same. Uh, Oh, that sounded sounded weird. I don't think we talk about that enough, honestly. (laughs) I think one of my favorite characters to ever play was Gary King in The World's End. Mm just because he was such a chaotic <laughs> mix of kind of uh, contradictions. And, you know, he was he was very funny, but also deeply, deeply tragic. Mm. And, and when you play a character who has a lot going on on the inside that he's trying to hide, it, it's a real sort of 
uh, tightrope that you walk because you can't give too much of the inner workings away. But at the same time, you do have to hint at it slightly. And, and playing Gary, who was like this incredibly kind of energetic, gregarious, funny guy, but, you know, also a, a suicidal alcoholic. It was kind of, yeah. uh, it was a real trip. I love him. That's a lot. Yeah. So that makes me wonder, what's the difference for you between like playing a character you've written versus just acting in a film? Like those have to be different experiences or do you bring your same acting to it either way? It is a different experience because you're there, you know, at the inception mm -hmm. of the character, you shape the character from the very beginning. Yeah. You know, when you get to like with Mission, I've worked with with Chris from since Ghost Protocol, you know, and, and so he writes for me um, and, and, and he can write for me really well. And then when we get together, you know, I sort of add little bits and bobs here and there. He's always very encouraging about bringing a little something on the day. Cool. So Mission is a kind of mixture of the two, really. It's almost a bit more of an easy ride when you just play a character that's on the page. Because yeah, I could see that. You don't have to get involved in the whole kind of, you know, the writing process. But I do love the writing process. And, and it, it's really fun to um, to machine tool a character from, from, from nothing into life and then get to play him. Mm. My, my sort of relationship with Edgar is... Edgar Wright, sorry. Yeah, the, the ideal relationship, I think, because he... You know, we, we sit together, we write the movie and then we separate into our respective roles as director and, and lead actor. Hmm. And and we have eyes on everything the whole time, right up until the final cut, you know. So that as a as a as an actor and writer is the is the pinnacle for me. Mm, that's really cool. So uh, you studied English lit in university and our listener Gus wanted to know what you're reading right now. What am I reading? My wife is the reader in the family. Mm. My phone, my phone has turned me into a, a an attention <laughs> span idiot. Um, she, I've never known my wife to not be reading a book since we met twenty years ago. Oh my ago. god, I love that. I I actually I was reading. Um, oh, uh, what's it called? Oh no, now my mind's gone blank. Sapiens, that's it, Sapiens, hmm. which I absolutely, I'm, I'm so so interested in anthropology and and the kind of the genesis of humanity. And I love the whole, when I, you know, the first part of it is, it was all about how, you know, Homo sapiens is, is just one, one species of human. And they were like seven and we're just the last ones. And there were all these different kind of humans around the world, you know, Neanderthal and whatever. Wild. And um, yeah, it's fantastic. It's so much more complex and exciting than any story we've ever made up to explain why we're here. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's so compelling. That's a beautiful way of putting it. I love that. Well, Simon, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a real pleasure to talk with you. Thanks, Greta. That went by so quick. I feel like we were having a, a great chat. <laughs> thank you, as always, for listening along. I have a very exciting announcement, which is about our August book club selection. It is... Andrew Leland's The Country of the Blind. You can always, of course, also find our book club announcements on our Instagram page. That is at Nerdat Podcast. And many of you have joined our Facebook group lately. I want to make sure everybody knows about it. It's called Nerdat Headquarters, and it's a private group on Facebook. And it's a great place for Nerdat listeners to get to know each other and ask for book recommendations or talk about TV shows they're really into. Sometimes people are like, I need to add more books 
about disability to my syllabus, what should I do? There are so many amazing topics happening over there. And you can join if you go to facebook.com slash groups slash Nerdette HQ. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman. JP Swenson builds our newsletter every week. And our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We will see you next week. Come on, Barbie. Let's go party. Ah, ah, ah. Yes. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.